This is an ABC podcast. Hello, Fiona Pepper here, and this is Fictions. And welcome to The Corona Tales, short stories from under the cloud of COVID-19. This week in Corona Town, things that made me cry. A friend asking me how I'm doing. A mushy tomato when I'd just been thinking the tomatoes are great this year, at least there's that. Rain, sunshine, a gang of cockatoos flying overhead. A girl in a tree, her mother trying to get her to come down. She's six, face of an angel, and she says, I'm not coming down. I'm bloody sick of you. I laughed with the mother, and then a little while later, I cried. Writer and producer Belinda Lopez had her first baby last year. Now, there's often an overwhelming anxiety about babies. What sort of world are you bringing them into? How do you protect them from the dangers lurking? But people have been having babies since forever. And while the world is complex and frightening, it can't be that bad, can it? Here's Sing, Don't Cry. Every apocalypse needs its own theme song. My apocalypse song is Cielito Lindo. I didn't even know what it was called before we all went into lockdown. It was just a song that went, ay, 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 ay. I have become obsessed with Cielito Lindo. My partner gives me the look that I now know means I've played the original Mexican mariachi band version too many times in a row. When you're in isolation, you have to be respectful of the people that you're living with. So I find remixes of Cielito Lindo to play instead. The opera version. The reggae version. Cielito Lindo, the electronica banger. I wonder if I'm using Cielito Lindo as a crutch, as a way of not thinking about what's going to happen next, as a way of not listening to anything Donald Trump says, ever. Our people are full of vim and vigor and energy. They don't want to be locked into a, a house or an apartment. Play Cielito Lindo. Now playing Cielito Lindo. On the news around the world, the hospitals are full and the stock markets fall. Sing and don't cry, the song says, because singing makes your heart rejoice. Last week we started the ritual of a daily video call with my parents. They live a few suburbs away. We're Spanish and they taught me Cielito Lindo. And now they sing it to my baby, their first and only grandchild on a tiny screen. 
My parents usually sing it together. And for a second, mum's voice cracks and she steps out of view of the camera. She comes back a few minutes later, eyes bright, voice even brighter. A little too bright. I decide it's important to learn about the history of Cielito Lindo, my baby's new soothing lullaby for the apocalypse. Or mine. After I put her to bed, I sit down with a glass of wine and treat myself to some Cielito Lindo research, just to wind down and avoid the pandemic updates. Cielito Lindo is not what I thought it was. I knew it was loved in Mexico and I've been singing it sweetly to my baby, But some say the lyrics were inspired by the bandits who roamed the mountains of southern Spain in the 17th century. A true account of the cruelties and robberies in the Sierra Moreno. The travelers shrink and very few escape with their lives. Oh, and back then, the Spanish crown locked down those mountains and isolated the south from the rest of the country. But not because of the bandits. You are joking because of the plagues that decimated Spain that century. It was the greatest catastrophe to hit Spain in modern times. I fall into a vortex of historical pandemic updates. The uncertainty and anxiety brought about by the constant presence of death could only lead to an explosion of passion on the part of men attempting to halt a process which was destroying them. There were epidemics and food shortages and popular uprisings. I guess running to the mountains to become a bandit must have felt like an okay idea. It's not as if I'd become a bandit. I haven't even hoarded toilet paper. No more than three packs. But I have been thinking about getting out. Not to the mountains, but to see my mother. Oh, the reception's gone. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, it's bad connection. This lockdown's a bit like grieving. You accept it slowly, in stages. I told Mum we should wait a week before she saw the baby. And then I said... It was probably better to give it a month. There's a few reasons why it's risky for both my parents if they get sick. And now mum and I just don't talk about how long it will be. When I first realised Tia Little Lindo was my song for the pandemic, I wondered if it was somehow wrong to say... Don't cry, sing, it'll make you happy, while the world shifts cataclysmically beneath us. But now I realise that's exactly what we're meant to do. Someday, someone will read about the 21st century plague, and whatever happens next, we can say this, that for a while, the world retreated in an act of collective love and some pretty heavy state surveillance. And I'll tell my baby about it when she's old enough. How we stayed home for a really long time. For our family.
That was Sing, Don't Cry, written and produced by Belinda Lopez. You're listening to Fictions with me, Fiona Pepper. (laughs) Now, there's been an awful lot of crying since this pandemic began. People seem raw and fragile and just generally a bit on edge. And while we're doing our best and social media is full of dancing and home karaoke and bread baking, we're also grappling with a lot about the world and our future. Writer and comedian Phil Spencer is English, though, so naturally he doesn't really feel comfortable with emotion. But in the current environment, Phil has found himself a little more affected by the world. And he has found himself, well, thinking about love. Here's Joe's Just For Men. For all the inherent advantages of being born a cis-heterosexual male in this warped world of male privilege, one of the main disadvantages of being a straight white guy is how infrequently us blokes get to talk about love. It's not a topic that I was especially prepared for in my formative years. I mean, I did a first aid course in year eight where we learnt to dress wounds and resuscitate a doll, but that was about it, really. And even today, as a grown man with an arts degree behind me and the fact that I've watched nearly every episode of Sex in the City, I still, as a man, find love a very tricky thing to talk about. You love your kids? Fine, though the idea of being locked in self-isolation with them for six months is very sobering. I mean, by day three, we had already watched the film Frozen four times. Now, as a man of a certain age, you're allowed to say you love your football team without fear of reprisal. You can love Christmas. You can love bunning sausage sizzles. You can love your dog, that's fine, but not a cat, apparently. You can love your mum, and you're even allowed to tell her that on the phone when you say bye. You say, love you, mum, bye. But for some terrible reason, the same rules do not apply to your dad. Have you ever tried to tell your dad, an RAF sergeant, that you love him over FaceTime? No, you can't. With your dad, it's always, all right, yeah, not bad, all right. You see Arsenal beat City at the weekend? Yeah, all right, mate. See you later. Bye. And as an Englishman, I honestly never realised that you could just hug someone in your family because you wanted to. I can count on one hand how many times I have hugged my own sister. Exactly five times. And all of them were because of alcohol and once because of what the judge described as a suspended sentence. It's an understatement to say that the world's changed recently, isn't it? And given the global events, I have been spurred into action, I suppose. I've done all sorts of things in the past month I would have never thought about doing. I set up a MyGov account. I bought nine jars of black olives. I spoke to the neighbour on the other side of the road who hoards children's bicycles in his front yard, but who doesn't actually appear to have any children himself. His name's Eric, and he actually seems fine. I didn't didn't really ask about the bikes, though. 
I mean, we're all saying hello now on the street, a little nod at a distance, but an acknowledgement of our shared humanity, of the struggle we know we are all facing. A little hi or a how are you going? It's nice. I like it. I have to admit, though, that in this new climate of affectionate smiles with strangers in the now eviscerated cleaning products aisle of the supermarket, my absolute favourite people are still the ones who, even though there is a worldwide pandemic upon us, still won't meet your eye and say good morning. You sort of shoot them a smile and they just stoically ignore you. In a way, I admire that person. I really do love them. To be that curmudgeonly in the face of an apocalyptic tidal wave is, I mean, it's sort of inspiring, really. But given how much the world is changing and the landscape of society is altering, I wanted to take this opportunity to say the unsayable, to pierce the veil of blokeness and to tell you just how much I love my barber, the man who cuts my hair and how sad I am that I won't be seeing him for, well, who knows? Essential service or not, I've read between the lines and I am staying in my house. Quando posso rivederti ancora. I don't know his name. His shop is called Joe's Just for Men, which does sound a little misogynist when you say it out loud, but on the sign it honestly just feels informative. His shop is called Joe's, but I am almost certain his name is not Joe. But he's an Italian man in his mid-70s with perfect posture and an impeccable sense of humour. He's smart and generous and he once said to me, to me, there are two types of people in the world. The people with hair and the people without hair. And then there are those who don't really have hair but still come to the barber shop because sometimes you need to believe. His shop is in Bondi Junction. He says he's been cutting people's hair for 65 years, though I need to fact check the dates. I think that makes him well into his hundreds. He supports the football team Juventus. He has two kids, both of whom are hairdressers, and he has two grandkids. And I only really know that because of the pictures he has stuck above the mirror in his shop. Not Joe once told me, I don't need to work. I just come in three days a week because what else are you gonna do? Sit at home and talk to my wife? No. Now, I mean, that, that bit actually is misogynist, I think. But he's coming to work, not because he has to, but because, well, he wants to. I mean, do they even make people like that anymore? Post-war immigrant mentality is a truly shocking and admirable trait, I think. And I don't just like this man or respect his professionalism. I love him. I look forward to seeing him every three and a half weeks. I feel buoyant in his company. I feel familiar, like he's an old Italian granddad I never had. He makes my life a better place to be. He makes me laugh. He makes me feel at home in the world. He makes me feel like I could tell him absolutely anything and he wouldn't judge me. He makes me feel accepted and safe. Plus, he just cuts my hair really well. Not too much off the front. He does the razor thing at the back, a proper haircut. An honest man making his way in life after decades and decades behind the barber's chair. And next time I go in there, 
if he's still cutting hair after all this madness is over, I'm going to say, that looks great. Thanks. And I'm going to tip him five bucks and I'm going to take my complimentary Mentos Mint and I'm going to walk to the door, stop, turn around and say, excuse me, old Italian man whose name I don't know after six years, but who I am pretty sure is not called Joe. I just wanted to say, um, well, thanks. That was Joe's Just For Men, written by Phil Spencer. And if you want to hear more of Phil's work, check out No Standing, No Dancing on the Fictions podcast feed. A global pandemic doesn't seem the most obvious backdrop for a rom-com. But journalist and playwright Melanie Tate is a romantic and a little thing like coronavirus isn't going to get in her way. This is Fig Actually, a romance for the COVID age. It started with a smell in the lift. The lift I'd been avoiding because, you know, buttons. Fingers on buttons. Fingers on buttons and germs. Ten days into unemployment and the stairs were starting to feel like hard work. It had been ten days of playing sad songs, of spending too much of my finite pool of money on home-delivered Portuguese tarts and talking to my dog. Like he's a real person. Hey, Barry, do you think this virus means I have to lodge my bass statement this quarter? (laughs) It was fig. The smell. An unmistakably male fig. Not too much, you know, like it didn't suffocate me. It was as though a fig tree was in the middle of a crisp, pine forest on a beautiful spring day in the elevator in the apartment block that I live in. I started to think about who it could be. Was it one of the gay boys from 301 or was it the raver from 204 stripped of his chemical drug scent? I looked at my watch. It was 4.30pm. So my calculation said that I needed to be back in this lift the next day at 4.30pm. I had to find out where that smell came from. 4.30pm the next day, I'm getting back from my walk. I've actually had a shower, I've put on a bit of makeup, nothing much. No one's putting on a full face at the moment, so I don't want my grooming to be conspicuous. And to round things off, I put a spray of my own perfume on as kind of a mating call. And guess what it is? Fig. I linger around the lift for a good five minutes. Nothing. Two weeks after the first whiff, in the aftermath of my third Portuguese tart of the day, I take the rubbish down in my Ugg slippers and I'm walking back from the bin when I smell it again. The unmistakable aroma of sexy fig. No, 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 not now. I've got custard stains on my dirty white T-shirt. My grey trackies have an actual tear in the crotch and I haven't been bothered putting on a new pair. The lift, it's left slightly ajar and the smell is definitely inside it. He sees me and he sticks a bag of shopping in the lift door to hold it open for me. I have no choice. I have to get in that lift. (laughs) 
we smile at each other as I take my socially distanced place in there. The fig, it hits me like my future and there I am planning our wedding in a crisp pine forest on a beautiful spring day. I want this to be over. He smells amazing and I'm in full ISO mode. I haven't washed my hair in a week. How are you going for toilet paper? He asks. Oh my God, he's friendly too. He's warm. I ran out weeks ago, I say. Thank God my Nana always crochets a few new face washes for me each Christmas. Oh man, did I actually just tell him I'm wiping my bum with a face washer? I did. Oh my God. He laughs. He's polite too, like a human being. Jeez, it's so nice to see an actual lovely smelling human being. What about you, I ask? I have that delivery service, he says, that makes it out of recycled paper, gives the proceeds to Africa. It's what you call smug toilet paper. I should be right, clean and smug for a few months to come. He's funny too and cares about the environment. Oh, my God. I get out on the third floor. I had one shot at a figgy ISO romance and now it's gone because I couldn't be bothered washing my hair and probably smelled like musty, unbathed depression. When I'm back in my flat, I realise I kind of need to sort my life out. So I take a bath, do a lot of washing, clean up the junk food wrappers and settle in for the night at the piano. Making myself a deal, I'll play at least one happy song. No more Beethoven, no more Sondheim. I've been playing for about half an hour, slowly getting more energised by the music and the cleanliness when there's a knock at the door. Please let it be him. I think almost as quickly as I think, please don't let it be him. I mean, sure, I've cleaned up, but I'm not pre-ISO cleaned up. I've been to every flat on this level and it's been really difficult to hang on to these without fisticuffs, he says. And he hands me two wrapped rolls of toilet paper. I love that he used the word fisticuffs. Oh, my balm, I say. I'm touched. Of course. And there it is again, the fig. If ever there was a time I thought pheromones were a social construct, that time is not now. I believe in the science of romance now. Pheromones are super real and they exist. Are you allowed to come in, I ask. I have coffee and iced tea and wine and we're allowed to gather two at a time, aren't we? He comes in for a wine. He's relieved for the company, he tells me, and he sits at one end of my couch while I sit at the other. Something smells really good in here, he says. Is it Fig? That was Fig Actually, written by Melanie Tate. Corona Tales was produced by Sophie Townsend and me, Fiona Pepper. Corona Town was read by Eleni Schumacher. And sound engineer this week was Kerry Dell. Join us next episode for more stories from this strange world we find ourselves in. And don't forget to subscribe and review Radio National Fictions wherever you get your podcasts. This week in Corona Town, things that made me smile. 
a friend asking me how I'm doing. Roasting lamb on Easter Sunday. Who could have thought you could roast lamb in the apocalypse? Postcards. Every day, walking up to the post box to send small notes and silly jokes to friends. Sunshine. Rain. A gang of cockatoos flying overhead. A girl in a tree, her mother trying to get her to come down. She's six, face of an angel, but she says, I'm not coming down, I'm bloody sick of you. It made me cry, but first, I laughed. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.